Coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. All right, let's do it live on a Monday draft week edition of the program. I am merely Bo Bishop. He is a Z, which stands for Zagura. Dr. Z, welcome to draft week, brother. It is draft week. We are here. You could say I'm on the moon. I'm so excited. Literally. I'm over the moon. Literally. That's right. Literally over the moon. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'm happy that it's here. I'm nervous for when it's over, but I'm happy that it's here. And it's an exciting week. And I think it's another opportunity for the Browns. You know, it's the next piece in the puzzle to get this thing going, to get an exciting product on the field and round out this roster. And I thought Andrew Barry had some very interesting comments today in his pre-draft presser which we will talk to and we'll also play for people uh, at 115 yeah there was something he said specifically that gave me so much there was so much excitement as soon as I heard him say it uh, I'm not going to bury the lead but uh, you'll hear it in that and then you and I can respond to it sure. but um, it uh, there were a couple of things he said that that leave you feeling in a very good place if you're a Browns fan in terms of the plan in terms of how this thing is going to be built and I think built frankly correctly um, also like I, I just think as you're seeing a lot of this stuff and it seems like Schefter his tweeting represents like the a lot of the old guard of the NFL because there's obviously a lot of trepidation from from general managers out there about technology and how this is going to work and Anytime AB is available, no, nothing, no, nothing to worry about. You watch Building the Browns yesterday, same thing. We're good. I've been doing this for a long time. Kevin says the same stuff. Um, this, this is really a draft that our front office was built to do. There's no doubt about it. I go back to the three Ps. You know, Kurt Angle had his three eyes. Andrew Barry, Kevin Spence, they got the three Ps. They've got a plan, they've got preparation, and they've got a process. And that is no different in this draft. As I said, I believe this gives us a competitive advantage. I really do. Uh, I think that they are very well prepared for this. They are all systems go. They are full speed ahead. They've been going through, as I told everybody, simulations, not only on, on a draft pick standpoint, who's going to come off the board, but also from a technology standpoint, uh, in case there are any technology issues or technological issues. They're ready for this. They are built for this. This is we could not have a better front office under yeah. the current climate for what the situations and the parameters are going to be. Yeah, I saw that. It was the Schefter tweet this morning about how they would not stop a trade if it goes up against the clock. If it comes to the clock, they would stop the clock and allow for the trade if there are particulars. That honestly, I wish they wouldn't do that. I wish. Look, you you had to make trades on the phone before. Why is it different now? Like, don't don't have a built-in excuse. Just go the same process as it. Take your picks when they're time. Have your your trades done in, in time. You would in a normal draft. There's no reason, for my view, to extend it in this draft. I hear you. I think they just want to make sure that everybody gets to do what they intended to do. And uh, it, it should be the case, and I, I want to back you up on this, it should be the case that that doesn't have to come into play, barring yeah. you know a cell phone call dropping or barring a hiccup in the internet or something like that it shouldn't come to that I agree with you on that but I understand that if there were something like that that they're going to be prepared to allow the you know things to happen and be completed as they were intended to be completed 
Absolutely. So as we get into the OBM hot topics, Ohio Business Chief for Copier Provider, the Cleveland Browns. Have all the X's and O's for your office. Call 216-485-2000 visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. This happened late. Was this Friday, late Friday or into Saturday, the Mackay Becton news? It was definitely after we were off the air. Yep. I'm not sure if it came out Friday evening or into Saturday, uh, but the news that he was flagged for a drug test at the Combine did not have a flag test at the uh, during his time at Louisville. But as we've said many times, this is – much about the act it's about the fact that you allowed the act to happen um, when this is the it's in many many pro teams view this as an intelligence test yep and it would be viewed as a failure in this case for Mackay Becton and we know Joe Thomas loves Mackay Becton thinks he is an absolute monster at tackle and it you wonder does it push him down he's not considered the same kind of sure thing as say a Laramie Tunsil was and that pushed Laramie Tunsil down the draft board significantly now it was a different thing it was the video etc but it still speaks to the same type of behavior and I think that for Mackay Becton now if you're the Browns I think it becomes even more possible that you're able to trade back yep. and perhaps Becton is still on the board for you so somebody's going to take that First gamble I, I, I wouldn't expect him to get out of you know the top 15 probably if the Browns were to trade back with Denver or Tampa that's the team to watch at 14 um, but it certainly I think he's probably not in the discussion anymore at number four for the Giants which could put Tristan Wirfs there uh, to the Giants if they decide to go on the offensive line so I think this actually is big news I think it does have a yep. ripple effect um, it, it probably makes it means that Certainly he plus one other tackle I would expect are going to be on the board at number 10 for the Browns when they're on the clock, and we'll see how they handle that. I think it, it's a, a bad thing in the sense if those who are still holding out to hope that Dosunos will be there at 10, I think it makes it less likely, even though I thought it was yeah. impossible beforehand, it's now less than impossible uh, that he would be there at 10 because you're taking somebody that was likely to go in that range or That's certainly right. be considered out of the mix. Everything you said is factual. Uh, I, I'm with you on all of it. I, I think Becton now, the first thing I saw, thought of with this was now he falls. Now you, you go back to the two slots you mentioned, or if there's somebody else who wants to get up there, uh, you now drop back. You're able to pick up a, a two or a three to move back, and now you've put, you still get the tackle that, that many of you, including Joe, is the most talented in this group. You still get him. You just get him, and you pick up another asset along the way. What do you make of all of the uh, reports of all of the teams willing uh, to trade? I know we'll go over some of this in, 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 when we go around the NFL, um, but you mentioned – uh, you mentioned the Giants. Did you see the report today on the Giants about doing their homework on Justin Herbert? I did see that, which I don't. I feel like what? that's just, that's just all nonsense. Smoke, These right? things come out here for a reason, right? Somebody, yeah. oh man, we gotta we gotta try to make sure we get them or get ahead of them or you know push a player that they want to be there at four that isn't a quarterback down to four. That's all I can see is they're hoping I to agree. get you know Akuda somehow to come to four. Something like that. That's that's all. That's how I read that. Uh, no, I don't think there's anything at all to that whatsoever. Yeah, and and I think probably what happened. It, it's very clear that the Redskins, the Lions, and the Giants are there for the bidding, and they are hoping Miami comes up to one of those spots and gets if it's Herbert, which it seems a lot of the momentum is pushing Herbert there now. I saw that again uh, today. I think there were a couple of mock drafts I saw today that saw Herbert going to the Dolphins. It's been it would been Tua forever, uh, but now it seems like it's Herbert. But again, it, this is liars poker. There's nothing but nonsense out there right now. There might be little kernels of truth here and there, but there's a lot of misdirection that's being out there in the National Football League. Um, so the other thing as we as we get in, oh, the one last thing on the on this that I would say is. I think it is absolute nonsense, nonsense, that these kids wonder lick tests 
get leaked. Now, this happened Friday or Saturday yes, yes. with Tua Tungavailoa, where yep. his Wonderlick score was leaked. Yep, and it was not There good. is nothing in Tua's tape that would lead you to question his intelligence as a football player. Nothing. Nothing. He's not a one-read guy. He's a multiple-read guy. He can pick. In fact, Cosell just put a video up today of his ability to recognize quickly and make decisions and get the ball out. There's nothing in it. Furthermore, team, how'd that work out? Guess the last big-time quarterback to get a 13. A guy by the name of Lamar Jackson. Yep. How'd that work out? Just fine. Reigning the fact MVP. that these kids' tests are made public is shameful. Shameful. If I were to – you almost would be like, you know what the hell with it? I'm not taking this thing. Right. What's the point? What's the upside to it? What's the what point? The, what's the point? Right. Now, I, have see, I see no – I don't think that it's right that that gets released. I don't think it's right that then people judge based off of that. And, and you know, it's it's also a thing that I, I took it. I remember we did it a couple years. Gibbs, Gibbe had, I think, uh, myself and Wilhelm take it. And yeah. if you are someone who had, is used to taking those kind of standardized tests and thinking the way that those kind of tests go, you can do well on it. If that's not something that you were worried about, and I'm sure a lot of athletes are not necessarily as worried about it, it becomes a much more challenging thing because it's not just a, it's not an intelligence test. It's a test taking skills test, as well as in some cases, it is a, a test of what your upbringing was and things that you were exposed to socially and culturally that are not applicable to just raw intelligence and so i think in some ways i I don't even know why they're doing it still i mean the fact of the matter is i I think it is much more valuable you know to get these guys on a whiteboard or to in a virtual meeting to understand okay do they understand football or watch their tape how quickly are they able to process information in a two and a half second window and make the right decision more often than not those are the kind of tests that matter to me for a quarterback not what they can do on a standardized test that has I don't know. I, I, I don't think that it was necessarily – I don't think that it's – A, I don't think it's really a factor. B, I don't think it should be released at all. I think that's totally wrong. And C, it, it seems to be something that's outdated in my opinion. Well, and jump in real quick, guys. There were a lot of people on Twitter saying that the scores – like one of the tweets of the scores, the low score, they, everybody was saying those those scores were wrong. They were saying actually Herbert scored higher – than the number that they gave him. So, like, well, if Herbert was higher, maybe Tua was higher, too. So it's not even just, yeah, you're right about it releasing, but also the damage that's being done of potentially releasing fake numbers, you know, that really are actually lower than what they got. Uh, To me, Matt, to your your point, this is a real simple fix. Like, those are confidential. They have to be. They should be. They have to be protected. Because it can do damage forever. Marino was dogged by that forever, that he wasn't an intelligent quarterback. Uh, he did. He obviously it worked out just fine, you know. Um, so I, I, I just think that's that's something that that has to get fixed on this thing. Um, moving on to to the business on the field, the virtual off season begins today. Who knows what that even looks like? Uh, it's it's. I know we're taking part in it. Do you have any insight into what this is going to look like or what what's going to be accomplished here, Z? I think they're just going through the process for what they they need to do. So and they're going to do a, a quote unquote two round. Uh, mock draft where they go through and everybody you know takes their turn being on the clock and entering a pick and, and seeing how that goes so that's what no i meant the virtual the virtual off season bud oh like i'm sorry i thought you meant the virtual season. draft no problem oh the virtual off season no, no. so that's where you are now able to have 
virtual team meetings. You were able to virtually get together and put out, put together the workout programs, et cetera. So, you know, Kevin Stefanski will be able to, for the first time, address the entire collective team in a virtual team meeting that can take place over Zoom or whatever, you know, uh, whatever platform they would like to use. So it's about these now. You're in your phases of the offseason. You'll be able to have structured commentary. You'll be able to have meetings. You'll be able to go through that quote-unquote virtual offseason even though you're not all together. Now, I don't know how it's going to flow compared to where it would have been phase one where they're just you know just here for workouts. Or, and I don't know how that kind of stuff is going to flow. Right. It does sound to me like the NFL is being a little bit more lenient in terms of football being talked about because that is really all you can do at this point. Yeah, what else are you going to do? There's right. not much else. Um, I know that our uh, guys last, that go ahead. I was just say our guys that I've talked to are so happy to have been able to get their iPads and be able to, you know, see a little bit of what they are going to be doing in their offense or defense and what they're expected, etc. So it, it's it's basically you know they can now have this kind of classroom work, these meeting room work that you know right. they weren't otherwise having that really seems to be the main thing about it it's about so here's what it says quote uh, classroom instruction and on-field activities that customarily take place at the club facility are being supplanted by an online classroom instruction and virtual workouts for an indeterminate period so nobody's at no nfl teams required to participate in the virtual period from april 20th to may 15th a team may conduct class work even online if it doesn't assign its players specific workouts if a team decides to hold an off-season programs players would receive their customary per diem payment just as if they were there in person and would be entitled to receive any off-season workout bonuses if a team declines to participate which i don't understand why a team would it would not be permitted to conduct an off-season workout program after the period ends virtual or on the field there you go. Uh, and Fontana, Maddie just passing this along to us, the Tom Pelissaro report that the Browns are one of the teams not doing the workouts. They're doing the virtual meetings. Three teams the are meetings. doing the workouts. Yep. But the meetings is really what you want anyway. That's what it's Look, all about there, anyway. No, yes. Yeah. There's no way – you know, one thing that we talk about – I know we're up against it, but really quick. One thing we that I think that we think is that every pro athlete has a gym in their house and has a weightlifting center in their house. Guess what? Lots don't. Lots, Lots don't. do not. Lot, no. Most don't. In fact, no. the assumption is that everybody's got weight rooms and pelotons and fields and play. No, they don't. Most don't. And I, I think that that's a big, big misconception through this from a fan's perspective is that these guys are getting the same type of work. No, they're not. No. I would say that I've talked to at this point at least a dozen of our guys, maybe 15. Let's call it 15. I would say at the most – at the most, three or four have had gyms in their house. Right. And the rest That's are having we... to, you know. And, and I think you're right, though. The perception would be that a, more, a higher percentage of, than that would. But you have to remember, these guys in their off-seasons are going to training facilities. These guys, when they're, they're going here. going to Scottsdale are, are, in right, Southern and California. Work, and, work, and working out at designated right. athlete training facilities. They are working right. out at our facility right. when they're in town. So they're not home working out. So, yeah, I would say it's 20%, yeah. maybe 25% at max. 
which is not a big number. And you think about what these guys are having to do to keep their bodies in shape. And I think that's why I think the Browns, when you say not participating in the offseason workout program, they've obviously, look, you've got your strength and conditioning people. They are going to have ideas for these guys of what they can do to stay in shape. But you're not dealing with everybody having the same access to the same things. So it's more probably about customizing, getting, hey, you guys do what you need to do for your bodies. Here are our suggestions. Let's go. And the offseason, when I said a team wouldn't participate, what I meant is in the classroom. Everybody's going to participate in that because you need that. That is your lifeline yeah. so that when guys get here, they are mentally ready to go because physically these are pro athletes. And even if guys right. come back and they're not in perfect shape, by the time they're able to be back and be here for a few weeks, which at a minimum there's going to be a couple of months or a month before they actually play games, they're going to be able to get themselves in shape. But yeah. it's the mental stuff that you need every rep that you can get. Yeah. I, I just a lot of people – I've had a lot of people either on social or even friends of mine texting saying, oh, what's the big deal? I'm sure they're just working out in their private – no, they're not. They don't have them. Um, and it's it's a real misconception out there that the way I, – I heard something uh, last week. Giannis Antetokounmpo doesn't even have a hoop just from an <laughs> NBA standpoint. He doesn't have a house. He doesn't have a hoop. doesn't have a, a hoop in his driveway. I mean, doesn't have one. So he hasn't shot a basketball. Yeah. Since the season ended. Wow. So not everybody's got a gym. Like No, Mike certainly not. So, I mean, it's – no, it's it's very, very different. Um, all right, coming up next, you will hear from Andrew Barry, his 10 minutes uh, with the pre-draft press conference from earlier this morning. We have that for you, which is ninth. We will go around the league. As I said, lots of stuff, many mock drafts. Oh, and we'll have thoughts on the last dance. We'll have some thoughts. We'll get into that as well. Off and running on a draft week Monday edition, CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You know, my friends, we talk about my friend Alex and Northeast Factory Direct all the time. We don't talk enough about shopping online. Right now, more and more of you are buying furniture on their website. Why wouldn't you? Making a purchase online at Northeast Factory Direct now? Enter the code RADIO at checkout, and you'll receive an additional 25 bucks off. Not only do they have essential building materials like kitchen cabinets, sinks, vanities, but also important sanitary products for pools and spas like filters and pumps and cleaners. If you need furniture, mattresses, home office, patio furniture, bedding, shop from the comfort of your home online, northeastfactorydirect.com. You can still contact their scores to schedule an appointment, a virtual tour, or a remote virtual consultation. They are excellent at that. Give you that personal touch that you've come to know and love from Northeast Factory Directs. In fact, Alex would love to hear from you directly. If you have a question, just call him or text his personal cell phone at 216-288-1808. That is 216-288-1808. Uh, Andrew Barry with his final state of the state before the draft. His pre-draft press conference was handled today. Let's go ahead and have a listen. Just want to say up front how excited we are for this week. Uh, Gets a chance to add a lot of young players to the roster uh, for the 2020 season and beyond. Um, Want to actually uh, make special mention to a couple groups that we have internally. First, our college scouts. This week is really the culmination of really a 15 month process. And these guys, they make a ton of sacrifices, living out of hotel rooms, spending a lot of time away from their families, their loved ones. Um, Throw on top of that, a general manager change mid process, um, as well as a global pandemic. And and these guys have um, responded to every challenge at every every turn. They've done outstanding work 
uh, over the course of the spring. And they really serve as the foundation that uh, allows us to be prepared to go uh, this upcoming week. Uh, also want to just mention, um, you know, our research and strategy group, which has done a, a really nice job of, um, you know, working with our scouts and coaches. You know, as we build this board collaboratively, they've done, um, you know, a fantastic job with their work. And then also, you know, last but certainly not least, our coaching staff getting their input um, on a lot of the draft eligible players. They're fit within our offensive defensive systems. Been really, really pleased about how our group at large um, has come together over the past several weeks, and, and we're really excited for uh, this upcoming weekend. So with that, we'll open it up for, uh, for questions. Before we get too deep into the draft, I know everybody's got questions about that. I was just curious as to what's going on today in terms of the, the virtual offseason opening up. Can you give us a sense of maybe what Kevin is trying to accomplish today or what you guys can do? Yeah, I'll let Kevin speak on that more specifically, you know, the next time he's with you all. But I, I, I can assure you that Kevin and the staff, they've done really a remarkable job given the circumstances, uh, making sure that our guys, you know, have what they need uh, during kind of this un unprecedented period during the spring. Uh, and I have full confidence with Kevin, our coordinators, our position coaches, um, that they have the, the, the plan and the resources to make sure that our guys are prepared and can hit the ground running, um, you know, whenever we do get back into the building. I know you have no real, I mean, you can only guess at this point as to what those first nine picks are going to go like before you. Um, is it your preference, Andrew, to use that 10th pick? I think we talked about this last time, or, I mean, are there, are there really compelling scenarios then to move back based on other needs and the fact that you can maybe get a veteran tackle to fill that spot up front? No, uh, it's, it's, it's a good question. I guess, I'd answer that in, in two ways. You know, number one, you're right. Something that you alluded to earlier, you never know how the first, you know, nine picks are going to fall. And so there are a number of different scenarios that could mean that we would sit and pick, move up, move back, you know, do, you know, do whatever. And then the second piece of that is, um, you know, we're, we're not going to be pigeonholed into a certain, you know, certain decision, certain mode of operation, um, you know, we're going to make the best decision that, 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 you know, we think is, is right for the roster and won't be, won't be pigeonholed into anything specific. Hey, Andrew, how would you characterize the interest in that number 10 pick? We're seeing a lot of, you know, chatter about teams wanting to trade up, trade back. Uh, in, in your experience with drafts, would you say that there is, you know, considerable interest in number 10, uh, more so maybe than, than in other years or how, how's that going? Uh, that's, it, that's a good question, Mary Kay. I would characterize it as, um, you know, I don't know that it's any more or less unusual than, than, than previous years. And, you know, quite honestly, you never really know till you get a little bit closer to the draft and then certainly on the, on the clock, um, just because there are a number of different scenarios that, that can play out. I do think that, you know, we will, you know, we'll have options. You typically do, you know, every year in the draft, almost regardless of where you're picking, um, but I think it's, it's probably too early to say, you know, what, what things would look like on Thursday night. I know you're not commenting specifically on Becton, but because of the setup this year, mm -hmm. when you don't get to have a guy into the facility, um, you're able to do the video calls, but you're not able, you know, you're just not able to, to have as much access. Um, I understand that you guys in uh, 2017, uh, you were part of a draft where you guys did take a guy with a, a flag drug test in the first round at Jabril Peppers. But this year, with the restricted uh, access and limited opportunities with players, does that complicate this uh, issue for you guys? 
It's, it's, it's another good question, Nate. Uh, I don't think it really compl complicates, uh, you know, matters that much for, for really any prospect from a, from a background perspective. And the reason is, you know, a lot of the work that we do is with, um, you know, individuals who have spent the last three, four years, um, you know, with these guys on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, in terms of the, the spring scouting process, not necessarily being able to have guys on site, we are very fortunate um, again, to, you know, live in the, you know, live in the age of, of technology where we have, you know, Zoom, FaceTime, you know, things along those nature. We, we were able to sit with, um, you know, most, if not all of these guys uh, at the combine. So I, I think there have been enough touch points where we get a really good sense of um, who these guys are as individuals. And we're very fortunate just with all the, you know, the video capabilities today where you can get a lot of, um, you know, maybe not quite 100% of the value, but a lot of a lot a lot of similar value that you would have with with guys on site. So I, I think we'll be well prepared there, and 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 I think we'll have good information on all the prospects. Um, we've been spending so much time talking about left tackles. Um, have you spent the most time on left tackles in your draft preparation? And you know how much do you rely on Bill Callahan? And is there a guy in your scouting department is like the offensive line expert? Uh, good, good question, Scott. So, uh, you know, our approach with the drafts um, has really been to to scout and evaluate as if you have an expansion roster, um, and that's that's really the case every year. We don't really go into a fall or a spring and say, "Hey, look, we're just going to hone in on these specific positions," you know, because again, the the the, the draft is more about maximizing uh, the amount of talent, the long term talent on your team as opposed to, as opposed to filling needs, um, you know, very few rookies come in and hit the ground running and, and, you know, play at a, a pro bowl caliber level their first year. And so I just think that's the, I think that's the wrong focus. Uh, in terms of your question regarding, uh, our coaching staff, you know, our coaching staff's input across positions is always going to be valued. And, and it's something I even, you know, mentioned at the onset, like that's going to be a part of how we build our board. So, uh, you know, we take our, our position coaches, our coordinators, Kevin's input, you know, very seriously in terms of uh, what the final board looks like. And, and you know, that'll always continue to be the case. Just curious with all the, we're all talking about the various machinations that are going to occur during this very unique draft. What, what um, not concerns you now, but what, what do you think can be troublesome at, when you're on the clock and, and some of the other things that could pop up? Tom, I actually really do think it's going to be smooth when we're on the clock. We actually had our first, probably our second, you know, little run through this morning. We'll have the leagues on Monday. We'll have another simulation, actually multiple simulations on Tuesday. So we're, we're going to feel very comfortable. We do feel very comfortable. We'll feel even more comfortable, um, you know, as we head into Wednesday morning. I think, honestly, the biggest challenge is, is just more ironing out communication uh, because outside of using video conferencing, a lot of the, the technology is very similar to what you would do if you were your, if you were on site in your facility in your typical um, draft room. So I, I don't think that will be as big of an adjustment, um, but just making sure that we have the appropriate backup plans in case you know there's an internet issue, a power issue. And then also, you know, just no different than we're seeing on this call, making sure that people know when to mute and unmute, know people <laughs> with each other, you know, things of that nature, which um, I think will work through just fine. Jeff is asking, uh, he's trying to get a picture of what draft night will look like, Andrew, for you and the team. How many people will be hooked up into the communication system between scouts, coaches, personnel, and other groups? 
uh, roughly about 12, 12 or 13 people across some of the, across some of the different groups. We'll have, uh, you know, a couple of side channels for our broader group. I think, you know, I think Paul had mentioned this, maybe uh, he might've mentioned this last week. I think one of the bigger disappointments to the current setup is not being able to share um, the experience, at least physically with, with everybody in the organization. Um, it's, there's something special about being in one place together as, uh, you know, as all the picks roll off, but uh, we're going to do our best to make sure that, uh, you know, we can replicate that as much as possible. We, when we talked to Paul D. Podesta the other day, he was very strong in, in shooting down the Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, Minnesota trade talk report. Um, but just wondering, as a follow-up, have you or, you know, Kevin or anybody in the organization talked to Odell and, you know, just tried to assure him that, you know, that indeed was uh, – totally false, uh, as Paul said, and that, that he's part of the plans. Have you guys had any communication with him along those lines? You know, Nate, we, we, we communicate pretty consistently with, with all of our players. And the probably the last thing I'll say on this Odell piece is, I think just as an organization, we've, we've really have addressed this you know, several times at this point. Um, so I, I really don't think any more really needs to be said about it. All right, that was Browns general manager Andrew Barry there finishing up his press conference and some good stuff there, Bo, that you and I certainly will react to. But I thought he had a couple of great lines in there, and we certainly will set this all up, you know, going forward. Yeah, I think the, here's what I take away from this, my friend, and that is, number one, always be prepared. Number two, take the best player and view it as an expansion draft. That's That I love to hear. That was my favorite line. That's the line of the whole thing. I, I read that this morning when it came down. I saw it on Twitter, and I just felt like it's standing ovation. Yes, take the best – view it as an expansion. You get into trouble, and this is from, from an NBA perspective, an NFL, any draft. When you say we have to get a blank and you pigeonhole yourself at the position, do you have need there? Yes, but if there's an overwhelming value, take the value and deal with the problem later. Because there's many ways to deal with these problems. You're exactly right. And it was funny when you teased that there was a, a line that you liked. I was so curious to see what it was because mine the was the same. That we're going to treat this like an expansion draft and not be pigeonholed in. And that's what goes back to my point that, look, the left tackle situation can be solved by a pick at 10. It can be solved by trading back, still getting one of the top four. It can be solved by trading back and getting, you know, the next group. And by the way, Daniel Jeremiah said one of the names, a guy that I've liked a lot in this whole process, but one of the names that he said is going to go off the board a lot earlier than people think, Austin Jackson out of USC. Yeah. So there's that second group of tackles. Then there's a trade for Trent Williams. Then they're signing a guy like Jason Peters. There are a lot yeah. of things the Browns can do at left tackle, considering how they've shored up, you know, basically the rest of their offense without necessarily saying you've got to take one there. So I, I love that quote to me was great. That's and it opens up the possibility of, of taking anybody. I still think that the, you're going to have a likely combination of the best player on the board also being a tackle when you pick yes. unless a guy like Isaiah Simmons there and then it becomes easy for you however moving back opens up a lot of possibilities for you as well and I know there are a lot of teams that have been apparently you know interested in the number 10 selection of the Cleveland Browns we've know that the Denver Broncos have uh, there have been reports as well uh, that you know perhaps a team like the Eagles the Patriots Peter King we're going to talk about his mock they're clearly a team that they could move up and, and he thinks they're, they're looking to move up for two 
Tua. So there's a lot going here. And if Tua does slide out of the top 10, which don't you feel like there's a little bit of momentum leading you that way right now? I I just think when it comes down to it, that the kid who was the number one overall quarterback by far going into this year, I understand the injury concerns, but in a league where where what his skill set is fits really well, that he's going to somehow fall out of the top ten, I don't know. I, it's hard to know what to believe. Certainly to your point, there's a lot of momentum for that. Um, in fact, there's so much around the Dolphins now with – uh, going the other way and that they really covet Herbert. But I don't know if that's all nonsense just to disguise the fact that they're not going to go up to get Tua, which would allow him to fall to them at five and try to get the Chargers to go up to two or three or four to go get Herbert. That That's my hunch is what that could be, is to try to force the Chargers' hand there. So so maybe that's the way that thing goes. It, it's, it's very difficult to say. But I love A.B.'s approach of we're not going to get locked in. We're not drafting for need. Dress needs. We're using this in expansion draft. Best player available. Let's go. Let's continue to build this roster. I thought that was brilliant. Absolute brilliant of, of AB there. Um, all right. Coming up next, we go around the league. Z mentioned that mock draft from Peter King. We will get to that and some wild things for Yannick Ngakwe having himself a day. He is having himself a day. We get into that coming up next. CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Be sure to catch the Browns Draft Preview Show tonight at 7 on the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. GM Andrew Berry, the Athletics' Dane Brugler, join Ked Carmen and Nathan Zagura as they get you ready for Draft Weekend 2020 as we go around the league. Brought to you by Jack. The 49ers fielding offers for both of their first-round picks. Watch, watch Kyle and John Lynch turn, turn what they had, an abundance of talent on the defensive line, into like four, four players. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, they're going to come out of here. They're going to figure out a way to get a receiver, a defensive tackle, and maybe even an offensive tackle of the future. And yeah. I think turn you know those two picks perhaps into three or four, as you just pointed out. Maybe they'll end up staying there because I think they're going to get a darn good receiver uh, if they want. It, it sets up well for them to get a receiver with 13 that they acquired from Indianapolis and then to come back and get a defensive tackle later uh, with that 31st pick right now or to move that in the second round. But I think there's somebody that if the Browns desire jumping back into the first round at pick 31, they're a team that would certainly it. be open to you know going back to 41 and picking something up. So that's something to keep an eye on if the Browns do decide there's somebody they really, really want want to get yeah you can circle that 31 because if, if memory serves the the 49ers have no picks between the second third and fourth rounds is that correct not to the i believe that's right the fifth round yes i think they go two three four without a pick and they don't pick around again until the fifth round we have the two threes so that would be a logical trade partner there um it, to, to go that way at at uh at 31 if they want to acquire a few more assets there uh the jacksonville jaguars listen here's the d on the Fournette thing if you pay attention to the scores Everybody knows what Jacksonville's plan is. We'll get to Yannick Ngakwe in a second. And I think it's a smart plan. They are it, – it actually sets up perfectly for them because they can play the hometown hero. Well, he's not from Jacksonville. But Gardner Minshew, they can play him. The fans love him. He's yep. not very good. And so the fans aren't even going to realize what they're doing until week 8, 9, or 10. Um, in the meantime, they're going to put themselves to go 2-14 and 14 or something like that, and they're going to get a draft Trevor Lawrence next year. So that's the plan. And, I again, I think it's a good one. If you're Leonard Fournette and you come out last week and you say, I think we had to pick up Cam Newton, well, that's a quick way to get a ticket out of town. And maybe that's what he wants. 
right? It could be. Uh, for a guy so. who's not very productive, though, and the, and the way that he's handled himself, I'm not sure what the value is on Leonard Fournette. Um, but if you go and do that, that's a quick ticket out of town because that's the last thing ownership needs. Of course, the fans would want to have Cam Newton on that team, but that would mean wins, and that's not what they're trying to do. That's not what they're trying to do at all, and I would go so far as to say Leonard Fournette, you mentioned it, I don't think he has a ton of trade value, but he doesn't no. care because I do think that he could be, he's more of a plotter, but I think he could be a very nice piece on a, in, a, in a backfield where they, you pair him with somebody who can really catch the ball and he's kind of you know your hammer. I think he could be very, very good in that role for somebody. I mean, I think about what LeGarrette Blunt was able to do for a bunch of years, and he's more versatile than LeGarrette Blunt, and I think probably better, but LeGarrette Blunt was on a couple of Super Bowl teams, and so I think there's a role for Leonard Fournette, and he probably just wants out of there. Look, I don't want to get beat up again. That's got to be the hardest thing in the world is to be a running back on a tanking team. Yeah. I don't want to get beat up anymore for absolutely for nothing when we're not we're not even trying to win. That's a brutal yeah, that's position good. to be in. And I don't think Leonard that, Fournette's necessarily he hasn't been reliable from a health standpoint. His attitude has not been the best, but he still has some talent and I, I think that he's got he's somebody will find a home for him. But yeah, I think the Jags are completely doing that and, and you said mentioned Yannick Ngakwe and Good grief. That's going scorched earth down there right now. <laughs> Really is. So Yannick Ngakwe is tweeting with Shad Khan's son. What's his son's Tony. name? Tony. Tony Khan. Yep. And he's the guy who runs AE, the other wrestling thing, right? AEW. Yes, that is also okay, correct. Okay, so that's his that's his his pet project there. And so they're going back and forth on Twitter, and Ngakwe is just lighting him on fire. I mean, just crushing him. Uh, you just it, the only thing it's the one thing it is doing, and I suppose this is his what he's hoping for is it's it's making what it's going to be make it's going to make trading him harder because it, you, yeah. what you're going to give get back is going to be less and less by the day anyway. Now this just makes it this exacerbates that. I mean, here's the the tweet series. He tweets at Tony Khan, "Stop hiding, Mo." Tony Khan, I'm not in hiding, sir. I'm in isolation getting ready for the draft. I've been pretty active on social media in isolation, but you wouldn't know that since you unfollowed me again. Ngakwe, since you're feeling mighty today, let's both let the world in on the truth. We've been had a discussion that the Chargers game was my last game, yet you try to backdoor the situation without answering any of my camp's calls. Shake my head. You spoiled, brah. Holding up people for no reason. Clown emoji. <laughs> wow. This is right out of wrestling. This is. This is. That's so good. That's so fun. That's so fun. Listen, what are you going to get for him if you're Jacksonville? I don't know. I mean, I think you wanted at some point you probably wanted a one. He's going to get a big new deal. Uh, I don't know that you're going to be able to get that anymore because no, I don't think so. He he won't. It, it seems like he won't play. Right? Like he just wouldn't even. It, what's he going to do? What? The problem is he's got no leverage. We know that sitting out a whole season doesn't doesn't work. Ask Le'Veon Bell. No. Now he's not work. a running back, so he's got that working for him in the sense that his position will still be very very valuable. Uh, when he yeah. does decide to play again, but I don't know. I, I still think, even though this is that it gives you a little bit of pause, you don't want to see people, you know, when you say you got to buy into the program, taking shots at an owner like that. I mean, yeah, it would it would be like as if somebody on our team did something like that to JW, right? right. I mean, that's right. the exact yeah. kind of direct equivalent. Um, yeah. a senior vice president and and owner. You just, you don't, that's not, I don't know if he's certainly hurting his value with the Jags. I don't know how much I'd be curious though, to see how certain organizations view that because you realize that this guy ultimately at the end of the day does not care right about no, no. the organization. 
which well, he feels like he's been done wrong. He felt like he was. Yes. They, they were said that you could be, you were you'd be done, and they haven't done it yet. So I, you know, I feel like you know that's probably the way that that goes a little bit. You know, that's very it's, it's tricky. A, it's a very public the clown emoji. <laughs> yeah, very public. Very yeah, quite public. Um, Patriots dropped new uniforms out of the clear blue sky today. Z, this is you know we talked about this that the color rush was one of theirs that we liked. Um, but it is a lot of blue. I mean, it's a lot of blue. There's not a they, – they didn't even show a white pant, a white pant. They did not show a silver yeah. pant. Uh, it looks like they've removed silver almost entirely other than the hat. Um, it's it's blue. It's navy blue and red, and it's it's has kind of a leotard effect on it with the socks because the socks are blue too. Yep. So there's almost – it's almost blue all the way to like the mid-calf. Yes, and I don't love that over-the-shoulder striping. Um uh, again, I thought they had an opportunity. We knew that they weren't going to do it, but I thought that they had a real opportunity to go back to a beautiful uniform and go back to some of their tradition uh, with Pat right. the Patriot, et cetera, and clearly that wasn't the direction. Those color rushes, they, I do like them, and it's now their, that's their standard home look. Uh, but, you know, it's not necessarily what I thought, not what I thought they would be. I think they're okay. I, I don't think they're great. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that it's they... a lot of blue, buddy. Do you see what I mean on the pants? How it's yeah. all the way down to like the mid calf. It's navy blue, the whole way. Yeah, and the stripe on the side is is very big. I think. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I I just don't like that over the shoulder striping. I think on the jersey that looks very odd. I'm pulling up all the pictures now. I'm on there. So on their it's website. what that is. That's. That's a UCLA stripe. So there's two teams in college football that use it that I think it works great. And one is UCLA and the other is LSU. Uh, both of them use it. They both use that over-the-shoulder stripe, and yeah. it looks great. Um, in in those arenas, I think here it looks like a high school uniform a little bit. Yeah, yes. It, it, it Not my favorite. What's the overall – the reaction that I've seen has not been overwhelmingly positive – nor necessarily negative. I do think that what would they do? Will you answer me this? What would they do if they signed? And I realize that they can't, but give me somebody with a name like it. If they sign, okay, let's say they draft <laughs> Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Well, uh, Where is I don't it, how know is how that that's name fit. It's how is that name fitting? Font is going to have to be six. Yeah, or TJ Hushmanzada. That's going to look absurd. Yeah, it is. it is going to limit it for sure. I was trying to think if they have a oh they do okay, well this is the this is the tricky thing here. I I had forgotten this. They do have a history with that stripe. That's what their Pat the Patriot uniforms are. They yes. have those as well. They just haven't worn them since the early nineties. It's been thirty years since they've worn them. I just you know, don't. I think consistently because on the Pat the Patriot one, I have it pulled up right here. It's beautiful. Yeah, because that's a red jersey, and you get that little, the white and blue. And this, it's so right. blue that that red seems, to me, the red and white just seems out of place. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's probably what they were trying to harken back to is the Pat the Patriot look with the with the UCLA stripes on it. You bring up a great point in terms of the name on the back. If they get a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, that's going to be a lot back there. I forgot yeah. that they actually have a white version of that. Uh, Pat the Patriot too that they've worn recently that's beautiful, oh, gorgeous. Man, that's a beaut. You know yes. what I did this morning? I, I wanted to see if they were actually uh, if they, if you could buy a Brady in this. No, you can't. Sadly, in the new one. 
Yeah, you can't. Yeah, no, him. no. I tried. I, you go on their site though, and he's he is. Uh, it's by far and away the most merch on the site is still his. It's, he's, there's two pages of nothing but Brady merch on their site. Yeah, the 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 Pat the Patriot uniforms are just spectacular. Yeah, the whites yeah. great. They're both great. The white, fantastic. You never see that white one, but it's really cool. And the the red speaks for itself. I mean, it's it, it it's all it's everything you'd want it to be. You know, yeah, I don't know why hard. that just isn't. I just don't know why they didn't go with that uniform. I, I think it's just stunning. I think it's great in every way, every respect. Um, yeah, and the the blue, all the the as much blue as they have all the way down the sock. It's a real early two thousands look. Like it seems like it's dated immediately. Do you think they should have gone? I also think that the blue, if you're going that far blue, you might as well just take the blue into the shoe. To have that like stark yeah, white sock at the bottom of all that blue seems also. Yeah, you can almost go leotard. I prefer yeah. leotard to like the knee length leggings. Yeah, you know, go all the way at that point if you're that far into it. Or I'm surprised there's not a, a silver pant option. They've been wearing silver pants for all these years. I'm surprised they didn't put a silver pant with it uh, with the home or the away. And the the tomorrow we will get the final one. The Chargers or tomorrow at uh, I think it's um, six forty five. L.A. time, so 9.45 Eastern, the uh, the Chargers one will drop. Which is supposed to be, everybody's saying, are beautiful and amazing. That's kind of the, yeah, I, the early well, scuttle, but no surprise there. Don't overthink it. I mean, this isn't hard. Right. They've got the very clear thing that they can modernize or just wear that one, and it would work. There's a ESPN's Connor Shell, ESPN's EVP of content, said Monday, and apparently there were ads for this prior, but nonetheless... They're planning documentaries coming out because we're going to talk about the last dance a little bit. And I just saw this and it just made me very excited. Uh, Thirty for thirties on Lance Armstrong. Okay, whatever. Bruce Lee, which I think Bruce will be Lee. interesting. Yeah, and then the nineteen ninety eight home run chase between McGuire and Sosa. Uh, of the three of those, I have no interest in Lance Armstrong. None. Same. That's why I said that's yeah. been done. I, I don't need yep. it. He duped us all for yep. a long time in a very way i have no interest in that um the bruce lee one depending on how it's done i mean the fact that both he and his son tragically died young uh is is interesting to me if they tie all that together or who get who talks on it um and the mcguire sosa one it's going to depend on how much and how candid mcguire and sosa are because here's the other thing a reminder of how old we're getting buddy we lived all this yep we know this like we i know remember this history so that's the part that's I would you know, the watch. early 30 for 30s were stuff when we were little kids. Now these are 30 for 30s when we were in high school and college. I was in college, and I remember I would during that, because obviously I was a huge McGuire fan, you know, growing up with A's season tickets and, and him being there. And I remember we would listen, because you couldn't get all the games on TV back then. I mean, it was 1998, 97, 98. Yeah, 98. Um, yeah. And we would put on the Cardinals and Cubs games just in our fraternity house on the radio just to hear and it was just like sure. every day bomb 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 and yeah. i don't care that they were on steroids that doesn't bother me either. whatsoever because pitchers were too everybody was like i don't care yeah. what they did that year was unbelievable and i can't i want to hear the mindset of like it had to be so grueling knowing okay i just hit you know three in my last five games and i just dropped two spots because sosa's hit five in his last five i mean the yeah it was prodigious it was awesome. what they were doing yeah, you couldn't wait to talk about it the next day, and you'd watch it on Sports That's Center why that night. I, who hit home runs? It. Yeah, yeah. I no, just wonder was, if they're going to have. Cool. I wonder if they're going to have Sammy Sosa 
like alive as a not live but you know as a part of it now because i think for people who don't know the difference in sammy sosa is oh. going to be that's like going to be that's got to be a part how are you this sammy sosa when you were that right. sammy sosa it looks like two different humans yeah 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 that's that's startling the, the jeremy Shap interview of that was with him a couple of years ago was pretty stunning to see oh my goodness um, so we will get to the last dance coming up in the second hour of the program here. Coming up next, you'll hear from Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, he was on his conference call today, so we'll talk a little bit of, of the guys at the top. We'll talk about some tackles. We'll get into all of that coming up next, CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. If your Social Security benefits have been denied, call the Disability Lawyers at 1-800-ELK-OHIO. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of the Cleveland Browns. Go Browns! Time to hear from NFL Network draft guru Daniel Jeremiah from his call with the media earlier today. Let's start with his conversation about the playmakers, talking about Akuda, Simmons, Derek Brown on the defensive side. Let's have a listen. I would say the safest. I would say I would put Akuda down as the safest for me. Um, you know, I know exactly what position he plays. I've seen him play that position against elite competition, and I've seen him play at a very high, consistent level. So, to me, Okuda would be the safest. Um, the most upside, I would say, is is Simmons because of all the different things he can do. Um, you know, I just he's a special athlete and gives you so much flexibility uh, as a defensive coordinator. And that's why, you know, when I'm stacking those guys, how I've graded them. I have it Isaiah Simmons, Akuda, and then Brown in my in my next list that I think is coming out here pretty soon. So um, I think Simmons has the most upside, but there's a little bit of risk there just because he does so many different things. You got to hope that you can get uh, you know get him to be comfortable before you start really expanding his role. And then Derek Brown, to me, uh, I think Derek Brown is a dominant player against the run. He can collapse the pocket. He impacts the game on a down by down basis but he's not an elite pass rusher. So I haven't dropped him far down my list, but I think I might have began with him at at number two or three, and I think I have him now at number five. Um, So I think he'll be a a competent, good pass rusher, but he's going to be more pushing the pocket than a double-digit sack guy. So that that's pretty on point with all of it. Uh, do you? I mean, you and I have such a strong feeling on Simmons, and I I think this I think there is a look. Jeremiah loves him, but I think people being worried about what position he's going to play is a little silly. Exactly. You get him on the field, you let him make plays, and you figure out ways for him to affect the game. And I think for the Browns, in our conference, in our division specifically with Lamar Jackson, there's no better weapon, versatile weapon on defense to combat a versatile weapon on offense than Isaiah Simmons. I don't think that this is – it's not rocket science. I think that he is exactly what any team in the NFL needs as we try to get to more of these spread-out offenses. You've got a team who wants to play the the Shanahan-Kubiak-Stefanski scheme. Now you have a guy who can match up with tight ends. You have a guy who can match up with running backs. You have a guy who can match up if they try to even move somebody into a slot. So you've got a guy that can do everything, rush the passer, stop the pass, stop the run. I I don't understand it. That The guy does everything that is needed – in the modern NFL, and yeah. you, if oh, I don't know where I'm going to play him on the field. He's going to be on the field, <laughs> and he's going to be helping your team. Well said. Here's Daniel Jeremiah on the four offensive tackles. Let's have a listen. The way I see it, I have it is 
you know, we've been saying the big four. I have I have three guys up there, and then I have a little bit of a gap. I'll give you the numbers. So Becton is my seventh player overall. Wills is my tenth. Uh, I view that as kind of the top tier for me, those two guys. And then I think right behind them is Worfs. He's my 13th player. And then Andrew Thomas is my 18th player. So I have four top 20 guys, in my opinion. But I think there's a little bit uh, of separation between those top three and then Andrew Thomas. But I like, you know, Becton is my top player. Um, God didn't make many, many like this. I mean, he's a, he is the definition of a freak. Um, he's to be that big and to still be able to move the way he does is incredible. And he dominates in the run game, uh, in the pass game, even though he's still working through, you know, some things technically, he's so big and so long, you can't get through him and you can't get around him. And I've seen, had a chance to see some of the training stuff he's been doing down there. Uh, he's training with one of the best offensive line guys in the country, uh, with Duke Manningweather and the job he does out of Dallas and, you can see it in the video. It's just this kid getting more comfortable and, and, and getting better and better. So uh, I think Jedrick Wills on day one, you know, the first day of, of uh, practice is going to be ahead of Becton. Um, but I think Becton, the upside is what puts him over the top for me. So he's my top guy. Uh, Jedrick Wills is just a natural knee bender who's very explosive. He can get himself in bad positions and find ways to recover with his athleticism. You know, he played the right tackle spot there at Alabama. You've got a left-handed quarterback, so that makes sense. Put your best guy over there. Um, I think he's got left tackle ability. Uh, I think he can he can kick over there no problem. And somebody in the run game can uproot players. Uh, again, just very explosive, uh, very athletic player who I think uh, he's a top-10 pick in, in just about any year, in my opinion. Uh, Tristan Wirfs. Tristan Wirfs, when I first watched him, I thought he was going to be a guard um, just because he had some issues oversetting. He got beat on a bunch of up and under moves, which worried me and concerned me a little bit. Then I thought he got better as the year went along. And then obviously the show that he put on at the combine, you see the athleticism there and, and you say, okay, well, I know this guy's, you know, he's got the ability to play, you know, to play better at tackle. So um, that's where I moved him back out, kept him at tackle. He's somebody that can really move people in the run game. Um, but he's just got to be a little bit more patient in pass protection, continue to work and develop in that area. But, again, he's somebody with tremendous upside. Uh, Andrew Thomas, he's just a big, powerful uh, run blocker. He, he creates a lot of movement. When he gets his hands on you, he can really move you. He uproots guys. But I thought he was more of a one-track player. He struggled to adjust a little bit in space and then in, in, uh, in pass protection. If he can get out in front of you and stay square, he's fine. I just I did not see that elite level of foot quickness, and I thought when he sees some of the better speed rushers in the NFL, um, that could give him a little bit of trouble. So that's why I had him as the fourth guy. So that was Daniel Jeremiah on those four, and, and let's just play this next one as well where he talks about the top four and how special this group is, but also that there's no consensus. Well, I know it's normal during this time of year to call a bunch of teams, so I don't want to make too much of it, but I know Tampa's already made phone calls to, you know, to inquire what it would cost to move up. So uh, I would not be surprised at all if they tried to move up. And I keep coming back to, you know, kind of that Jacksonville area. Uh, if you wanted to tackle, that's the partner because you'd get ahead of Cleveland, uh, who's a tackle team, and the Jets who are a tackle team. So uh, that would not shock me at all if Tampa moved up there to get uh, their, their choice. Uh, of who's left at that point in time. That would not shock me. But in terms of the challenge, 
of evaluating these guys and the transition, it's huge because you can just be physically better than 99% of the players you're going to see in college. You know, you're, you're an offensive lineman, you're an offensive tackle. You, I don't care if you're in the, you know, a great conference, you, you're not going to see down in and down out NFL players uh, every time. And then even if you are matching up with NFL players and the offenses that they're running with tunnel screens and bubble screens and slip screens and, uh, you know, just catch rock and throw from the gun. Um, it, you're not having to block these guys. Like you're going to be challenged to block the guys at the next level. It's just different. So you're getting challenged. You can't just overpower these guys. Your technique is going to come into play. Um, so that's why, you know, I think we've seen over the last couple of years, we've seen some of these players that people, you know, leave for dead as offensive linemen. And then, you know, two, three, sometimes, you know, four years into their career, they end up figuring it out and becoming really good players. I think Laramie Tunsil's, you know, is one of the premier tackles in the NFL. And I think you saw him progress throughout his career. I think he's, he's just now more comfortable doing things he didn't really have to do at the collegiate level. Uh, that's just one example. I think DJ Humphreys played a little bit better last year. Um, so you're seeing some of these guys get the experience and then the talent can can show out. But it is a, it's a major adjustment for these guys at that position. Z, I wanted to ask you um, to take us back in time a little bit because I don't know this for sure, but I'm wondering, as we've spent all of this time on tackles, and we've spent a lot of time on tackles, if and I'm, I have to imagine that you did this with the Wentz-Goff draft where you did quarterback, 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 and then all of a sudden not quarterback. Um, and I, I wonder – part of me get, slipped into my head this week because you don't know who to believe and what not to. If we don't go tackle and we've spent all these time on these four, what that was like for you and if that was how that went for you with Goff and Wentz. Yeah, you knew, though, once – you knew that it was – as soon as the Rams traded up, you knew Goff was out of the equation. Right. So and that happened pretty early on in the process. That was well before the draft. Um, And then the Browns trade actually with with Philadelphia was well before the draft as well. So by the time you got there, you knew you weren't taking a quarterback at the at eight because you knew that Goff and Wentz were going to be gone. And so then it became, okay, well, what are you looking at? And we went through it that way. And you didn't really know. Obviously, you were hoping for a receiver. It just didn't necessarily work out and that it ended up being Corey Coleman. Um, So in this case, again, we talked about at the top, there are many ways to address this left tackle position. And one of them Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense and because it's an expensive position is to do it with a young player in this draft. And I think we've given you now, you know, the four names that everybody talks about in the – in the Becton, Wirfs, Wills, Thomas, but then there's that next group of Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, Josh Jones, even Isaiah Wilson. That group's pretty good. Matt Pert is another one if you went later, even in the draft, maybe into the third round. And so there are young guys you can get to address this. You can still make a trade for Trent Williams if you were so inclined. You can still sign a veteran like a Jason Peters or a Cordy Glenn if you're so inclined. And so there are many ways to deal with it. And I think, you know, it's like more likely than not the Browns will come out of their first two picks with an offensive tackle. But yeah. it is certainly possible that they do not and then that would allow them to then they know okay we're going this direction and bring in somebody in that can play left tackle we'd have Kendall Lamb you know backing up and we'll try to get somebody you know later in the draft to do it I don't think it'll be the case that 
you know, we come out of this and there are no tackles. But again, you could, as I said, trade Jason Peters, Cordy Glenn. There are plenty of options for you that do not involve it happening in the draft. And I think Andrew Barry, what they're going to be very cognizant of is how could they set their team up the best. I still think trading back makes sense in because you want to bring a lot of players in this year. You have seven picks right now. You have four in the first three rounds. You would love to probably get a couple more in the third, fourth round area. We've heard many people say that's a sweet spot in the strip because you have so many guys on one-year deals. You have yeah. so many players that you're that are probably not going to be on your 2021 team that you need to figure out succession planning for or you're dipping back into free agency again, which you can do. But there are a lot of things and, and factors to consider, and I would go back so far as to say that, look, this offensive system, okay, is so effective that your offensive line doesn't have to be one of the best pass-blocking offensive lines for it to still be good. The Niners, who could name the Niners' tackles, especially after Staley went out for the most of the year? They lost their center, too. Did it stop them? No. Minnesota, who can name that offensive line? Any superstars on that offensive right, line? Right, right. No, right. Be, and they ranked, I think, pro football folks, I think they were 27th in pass-blocking efficiency last year. And yet the offense was still incredibly efficient and productive. The Browns' line already has three great pieces out of five. Right. Already three great pieces. So you could say, we just need to bring somebody else. We need to be replacement level at left tackle and replacement level at right guard, and we're going to be really strong at center. We're going to be excellent at both left guard and right tackle. And with this system, that you're probably going to be just fine. But you could be superior if you address it. And yeah. as I mentioned, there are lots of ways to address it. So to answer your original question, when that year it was all Wentz Goff, 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 and then all of a sudden, up oh, Goff's off the table. So now it's is it going to be Wentz? And then up oh, we just traded out of two. They're obviously coming up for Wentz. Now we're out of the quarterback game, and that's that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And and I think this year there's less information than ever before because so many people. I mean, we haven't been in the facility in six weeks. No, so, like. You know, even and they we're, we're two guys who are in the building, but even like reporters and stuff that are used to hanging around talking at pro days, there's less information, real information out there than ever before. So there's a lot of misdirection, and it's it's a it's going to be a tricky and, and I think a really interesting week. Um, and there could be some really big surprises. Speaking of surprises, Peter King with a couple in his pre-draft mock. We will get to that coming up next. Matt Waldman from the Rookie Scouting Portfolio coming up at the bottom of the hour. CBD 850, ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Be sure to log on to Browns' YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Browns. Check out the latest edition of Building the Browns. See how head coach Kevin Spansky and his coaching staff get acclimated to working from home and how A.B. directed his staff through the free agency process. The team takes a look back. To its roots with the new uniform unveil as well. Going to be behind the scenes look at the development process along with players' reactions to the new look. It was a good episode, man. It was really cool. I thought Paulie and the gang did a great job with it. Great to see Trex. What a star turn. Trex, I know. It's great to see How Trex. How about that? What a legend. Wasn't that like, exciting? Yeah. We haven't ever had done anything quite this quickly, but we've always been planning for it. And But we're nailing it. We're doing it. I thought it was a good, a good episode, good insight. Our boy Preef. Was looking, doing well out strong. there. Yeah, it was strong, strong. So, yeah, it was, it was fun. 
Yeah, yeah, it was good. Mike with a prominent role as well, talking about uh, the preparation. I mean, this was it, the, the coolest part of building the Browns used to be what you would see from all of the behind the scenes with the players and the training and the practices and all yep. those things. And now for me, the coolest thing is like seeing all, all of our friends we used to see all the time. I know, just getting to see him. Sags, I love Sags right. getting a little a little love on Sags there. Yeah, it, was, love. it was good to see. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. Uh, Peter King with his pre-draft mock out today for Football Morning in America and the column there. Um, in terms of I, – I think Peter has a lot of fun with this is what he tries to do and he tries to anticipate. I mean, that's what you got to do because this stuff is so arbitrary. Um, and he does. He has a lot of fun with this. There's a lot of, a lot of sliding and some guys who get traded up for. Uh, it goes the way that you thought at number one and at number two with Burrow – and, and Chase Young going 1-2, and then the trade is Miami going up to get Herbert at number three. Um, and this has been the kind of the trending of this has been that it's been Herbert, not Tua, that they covet. I would say Miami, if I were you, just sit and wait. Just sit and wait. Yep, I would I not agree. trade up for that cat. Um, Although if they feel they obviously are worried, then that the Chargers are going to jump them. That's the only reason you do that. Let them have him. Let him have him. I just don't buy it. Um Worf's four to the Giants, Akuda five to Detroit, Andrew Thomas goes six to the Chargers, then DB Derek Brown to Carolina, Dosunos goes to Arizona at number eight, uh, CJ Henderson who's been there's a lot a lot of juice behind his name rising quickly, yeah uh, the cornerback out of Florida going nine to Jacksonville and Jedrick Wills to us at ten, Makai Becton goes eleven. Um, and then one that I think would get most of the attention, and that's some of the part of this, is at 13, New England trading up with San Francisco to draft Tua Tungabailoa. Oh, yes, there it is. There it is. And you'd have to wonder, would they even want to come up all the way to 10 if Tua is on the board? You know, at what point do you say to yourself, okay, I need to get up there. I need to, I need to make moves, you know, because I, I, would, I would think – I mean, don't you think Gruden would have to consider it at 12 with the Raiders, with Tua, if he's on the board? Boy, that would be something. I mean, he loves he loves Mariota, too. I mean, we, we know how much he loves Mariota. He's got Mariota and Carr. Yeah. Um, I would think that he would probably – if this tra- – if th- this would be a, a kind of a dream come true for the Raiders. If, if all of this stuff happens in front of them and they're able to sit there at 12 and get CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy. Yeah. That's a pretty good spot to be in, uh, to get a basically a, a, an A plus receiver at twelve, is is pretty ridiculous, and you would be able to do that. Uh, New England going up to get Tua would be quite interesting. Yeah, it would be quite interesting indeed. I mean, Jared Stidham. I, I don't think I, I still don't believe that that's happening. So they've no. got to do something. Um, you know, when you look through this and you see only the three quarterbacks go in the first round, it makes mm-hmm. me again wonder why in the world, and I hate to beat a dead horse, but Jameis Winston's 26. The guy's thrown for 5,000 yards in the NFL. Why is he? Why, why would you draft Jordan Love? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even um, know why you draft Justin Herbert, but that's just me. Maybe Herbert's going to be amazing. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm with I'm with you as you, as I think it's been well, it's documented, been well documented on both of those fronts. How, how we feel about those things, uh, but yeah, I would I I think that would make uh, all the sense in the world. I would do that if I were the Dolphins. I would I would draft three players and bring in Jameis and and see what happens. I would do that if I were the San Diego Chargers. I would draft 
I would sign Jameis or Cam if you're them and you feel like you're closer somehow, um, and and bring him in and, and just draft good players and go that way. I, the idea that that somehow Justin Herbert is demonstratively better than Jameis Winston, I'm sorry, I I don't I don't buy that. I, I same. Apparently, other people do, and obviously it's cheaper. But at this point, right, Jameis can't cost a lot. I bet Jameis is cheap. Are you sure it's cheaper? Right. I'm. So I'm saying he can't cost a lot, and you're getting Jameis plus that player. Yeah. Four so you're years. The, he's four years older than Herbert. So if you're Miami, okay, let's just play this. You're Miami in this scenario. You could come out of this draft, okay? Again, and tell somebody tell me why this isn't a good idea, but here's what, what you could do in this draft, okay? You could come out of this draft not making any trades, right, with Jameis Winston. Yeah. Isaiah Simmons. Yep. Okay, then you go to your next pick in the first round because you got another 18. one. They take A.J. Epinesa here, but you could end up with a corner. You could end up with Justin Jefferson, Henry Ruggs. You get Henry Ruggs, Jameis, yeah. Henry Ruggs, Isaiah Simmons. Oh, and you still get to pick again, at which point you'll take Austin Jackson. You mean to tell me that that doesn't set your franchise up? You get the best yeah. defensive weapon in this draft. You That's get right. Jameis Winston. You get the fastest receiver in this draft, and you get a left tackle for the future. Yeah. See, I'd sign up for that all day. I don't know what. Maybe we're just two idiots who just like maybe we him are. He deserves to be liked. I don't know. We might be just complete be. bozos. I just feel like the the. I think so much of this though, Z, as you know, is is the idea of a, a beautiful piece of clay that you can mold. And there's probably some fear that Jameis has already been molded uh, to the point that he's not fixable. I don't believe that. I think last year. I think. Let me ask you this: If he threw 28 picks instead of 30, is it different? Because I think it is. I think there's a stigma with 30 picks. What do you mean? He threw 30 picks this year. Oh, you're and saying you if he about threw 26 versus 30? Even if 30? he threw 26 or 28, it would have a different feel to it versus 30. Like, he threw 30 picks. You hear that constantly. Like, yeah. if he threw 26, I don't know anybody would be going, oh, he threw 26 picks. I don't right. know it would be quite as demonstrative. No, I think you're right. And I think it's – the funny thing is, though, if you go back and you look at his career numbers and you look at seasons that he's had prior to this, it's not like, yes, will he turn the ball over some? Yes, he will. But it's not yeah. like he was going ahead and, you know, every year throwing these 30 picks and this, that, and whatever, you know. And by the way, the guys had to learn new offenses all the time. But for his career, this is somebody who still has very much a positive touchdown to interception ratio. You know, the two years prior to last year, 38 touchdowns, 25 interceptions. Yep. That's not bad. No. It's almost two to one, you know. Yes, he's going to throw you. He's had three seasons in the NFL with 15 or fewer picks. He's only had one season in the, in the NFL, Bo, with more than 20, with more than 18. Yeah. Last year, that's it. Yeah. I'm with you, buddy. I'm with uh, you. That's how I would go. That I, feel like I, want, I feel like we should be given an opportunity. We should be given an opportunity to run the Dolphins just so that we can play this experiment out. So we've got Jameis. We've oh, now got Jameis. We've you, got Isaiah Simmons. We've got one of these superstar receivers, and we've gotten yeah. one of these tackles. Yeah. And let's, let's see how let's see how it go how it goes. So you've got Devonte Parker, Henry Ruggs. You got Jacecki. Yep. You got yep. now you've got Jameis pulling the trigger with those guys. You got Simmons yep. running around going nuts. The division's ripe for winning. Yep. I think we just won the AFC East. I don't know. I think it just happened. I'm with you on that, brother. Uh, Matt Waldman, Rookie Scouting Portfolio, going to join us coming up next. You're listening to CBD on 850 ESPN Cleveland.
You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Well, Bishop, Nathan Zagura with you, CBD, 850 ESPN Cleveland. Time to head on to the hotline. Our buddy Matt Waldman joining us, Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Let's just dive in here. We're, we're right up to it now. Has, has, anybody's, has your opinion on anybody changed dramatically between now and the last time we were kind of all able to, to get together at the Combine? Have you, has anything changed in terms of the top end of this draft in the last six, eight weeks or so? No, not really. I think it's just a matter of, again, it's all about team fit. Um, when you're talking about the top 50 players. Um, so, I mean, let's just get at it. Matt, last year you came on and you told us, you know, just how great, or two years ago, just how great Nick Chubb was going to be. You absolutely nailed that. I'm so happy that he's a Brown. I know you just did a deep dive on Nick Chubb, who has been nothing short of sensational in his time here with the Browns. So my question for you is, is there somebody else that you absolutely love in this year's draft? Who is your Nick Chubb this year? And not necessarily a running back, because that's not what the Browns are looking for, but just any position in this draft. Well, I'll give you an underrated guy that I absolutely love, and that's a wide receiver from Wisconsin by the name of Quintez Cephas, who's about six feet two oh two. He's made out of cast iron, lifted about thirty four in the um, bench press, faster than his combine time showed. And you know, Jeffrey Okuda and I believe his partner on the other side at Ohio State separately said at the combine that the toughest player that they faced in their career was Quintez Cephas, who tracks the heck out of the football. Troy Dye, who's probably going to get drafted an outside linebacker, basically got shedded like he was, I don't know, like a bug, basically, in the open field by the guy. He's just a terrific player, kind of in an Anquan Bolden type of way. Rugged, good over the middle, but also can work deep for you off play action. Good route runner, with uses his hands well. Um, just really love his game, and he fits in the AFC North. Boy, that, that adds to uh, – that is a name that we have not heard much, so I really appreciate you giving that to us. And it adds to a receiver list that is deep and really talented throughout. Uh, where do, where does this group rate for you? You've been doing this for a long time. Where does this rate for you, this receiver class? Yeah, it's one of the best. I mean, since 2000, 2014 was a great class, and certainly this one is up there in terms of potential. Obviously, it depends on – you know, how hard these guys are really willing to work on their own and what happens when they face adversity. But in terms of just talent and potential based on what they've done on film right now at the college level, it's one of the best. Matt? These receivers, it could be a need. He gave us a nice name there. One thing we know for sure is a need with the Browns on the offensive line. Uh, some of these guys, a, a lot of them, you know, there's been talk that there's just the big four, et cetera. I know you're much more into the skill position, guys, but from your, you know, talkings to people, how do you feel about this O-line class and, and you know, kind of that top four or next four grouping? Yeah, the top four look pretty darn good, and I've gotten a chance to watch them this year. And certainly if you can get a – you know, I think Tristan Wirfs will probably be gone. I think the Giants will probably end up taking him. And I think that, you know, Gerald Wills is certainly a, a, one of the most proven options. Um, but to me, the guy that I think would fit well in Cleveland, and, you know, again, it's that Georgia connection, but it's Andrew Thomas. I just think Andrew Thomas is a very proven player. He has a few flaws here and there, but nothing that you're going to get crazy over. Played in his own scheme. I think that, you know, he's a guy who's an excellent pass protector. He's a good run blocker. I would love to see Cleveland land him at 10, and I think that's quite possible. 
It is, and it, I know he wants to block for Nick Chubb again. I'll ask you about another position here, the tight ends, because this is an interesting tight end class, I think, and some guys, you know, this is an offense that's going to be very tight end heavy. We do have Austin Hooper and David Njoku, not much necessarily behind those guys. Are there any tight ends that maybe aren't near the top of the list, but tight ends that the Browns could end up being interested in when it's all said and done? Oh, absolutely, and I think there are a number of good guys who fit in that regard, because I know a lot of people don't think this is a great tight end class, but I think it's it's better than people think in, in terms of if you're thinking mid-round long-term. Devin Asiasi is at the top of the list out of UCLA, 6'3", 257, really had a strong year. He played behind Caleb Wilson, who was kind of like Josh Rosen's security blanket as a receiver. But Asiasi goes up for the ball well. He has the size to become a good blocker, and I think that he's already developing in that direction. He's excellent after the catch. Great first step in the open field transitions well. Um, I think he could wind up being one of the better tight ends in this group. Um, if you're looking for maybe a little, you know, kind of more of an upside guy, Adam Troutman out of Dayton, certainly. Yep. You know, you know, athletically he looks terrific, and there's a lot of things he does well in terms of using his hands. He's very quick. Um, I think that he's someone that could definitely fit in that mold. But then you can look a little deeper. And to me, if you're thinking of like a blocker who can be a short area receiver, someone in that kind of Dennis Pitta, Heath Miller kind of mold, even though Miller was a better athlete, Thaddeus Moss. Thaddeus Moss is one of the smarter players I've watched this year. Um, Excellent blocker. And on the wing or inside, he's undersized in terms of height, but he's 250. He's strong, uses his hands well. He's as smart as as his dad was on the field. And I think that's a high compliment in terms of what he can do. And he has great hands in terms of being able to catch. And then maybe if you want, you know, a guy who's solid, but maybe does everything well, but nothing spectacular, Jared Pinckney, who came into this class as the top tight end last year until they started to see how he tested. He's kind of a guy who, you know, isn't extremely fast, but he can stretch the seam off play action. He's a decent blocker. He can work the wing and work across the field, but he can also catch the ball. And he has really good balance. And I think that he could be a a decent player. And those are all guys that I think could push David Njoku a little bit, who obviously is a way better athlete, but we need to see him, you know, obviously take that next step. And I think Hooper obviously was a great get for them. I'm down here in Atlanta. I've liked Hooper since he was at Stanford. And I think Njoku, you know, this is kind of the year that he gets put on notice. Matt Waldman, our guest, rookie scouting portfolio. He created it. Nobody does it better. Matt, let's let's shift gears to safety. Um, if the Browns go and get one of those tackles at 10, whether it's Thomas or Wills or whichever they end up there, uh, or even if they trade back and take one of those second-tier tackles, many of us think that safety will be addressed at 41, and that is if they don't move up or move around. But if they just stay at 41, who do you like in that second-round rage uh, at safety? Yeah, well, Xavier McKinney may go in the first round, and certainly he's a guy that's getting a lot of top rating. But when I hear things like not extremely instinctive, I, I kind of want to go away from that when I think of a safety. And the guy who's a little more risk-reward, but he's one of my favorite players in this class, and that's Grant Delpit. After watching Grant yes. Delpit, and I know that he misses tackles and he kind of gets a little too aggressive, but he's an extremely instinctive player, very smart with how he uses his body. He just has to be a little more disciplined. But – Listen, with Carl Joseph and and Sandejo, I think that this is a guy who can learn on the go, and he reminds me of kind of a raw version of Charles Woodson. And if you can get a raw version of Charles Woodson, 
I think you do that. I, mean, I love this the way this guy plays, and he's a guy that can come up and run blitz. He hits the alley well. He has some coverage skills. Um, it's just working on some of the tackling, but he's one of those guys that, man, watch him blitz the quarterback, and it's lethal. It's so much fun to watch this guy. There's a little kind of, you know, you know, a little Troy Palomalu type of, you know, instinctiveness to his game. He's not quite on that level, but there's a little bit of that there, and, and I would love to see the Browns get a guy like this. So, Matt, that is Bo and I's dream scenario that we've outlined would involve getting whatever tackle Andrew Barry and company want at 10 and then Grant Delpit at 41. I just don't under. I feel like if he came out last year, he goes in the top 15. He was obviously limited by injuries here. I don't understand why he's not a, a surefire top 20 pick. I, I see a lot of the same things that you do. I think he's an unbelievable playmaker. I think he's going to be a pro bowler. I think he's going to be great. And I'm so curious is that it makes us, first of all, it's great to hear you say it. Your track record is, is what it is. And so when you say it, it makes us feel like we're more than just a couple of, you know, dopes on the radio as Bo likes to say talking about prospects but why <laughs> well, is Grant Delpin why is he not in the top 20 I don't I don't get it yeah I, well I may join you about that Nathan but here's the thing <laughs> you know um the the deal with Ma the deal with Delpit is this is that when you're looking at first round picks teams tend to focus on the the risk management bullet points I call them you know they want to cover their assets per se and so, and you know, they, they look for a big program. They look for great production, consistent production year to year, good health, um, the physical prototypes that they want there, and then, you know, and then technique. The technique has to be, like, prototypically perfect. And so you get a guy who had a little bit of an ankle injury this past year that he played through. He had some flagging production a little bit because of that. Also, you see him where he takes some risks with a tackler, and they see a guy like Kenny Vaccaro, and they compare him to Kenny Vaccaro, who isn't as instinctive but overly aggressive, and, and you go from there. And it's kind of the same way in backwards fashion where I was kind of dying for Cleveland to get Patrick Mahomes when we've talked about him. Yes. And, you know, and, and now it seems like every team is thinking, well, you know, we missed on Mahomes, Watson, and uh, Lamar Jackson. So we can obviously get Jordan Love and just teach him because obviously those teams must have taught those three players who weren't instinctive, weren't good in the pocket, you know, weren't smart at being able to read coverage. No, they were all those things before they took the field. But that's what happens is you get the higher-ups who are like, what's the media going to say? What's Nathan and Bo going to say? What are other people going to say about these guys that we pick? And if we fail on them and they don't have all these bullet points, then we're going to look even stupider than maybe we did if we if they miss out. And at least we could say, well, they, they fit the criteria. And to me, Grant Elpit may have missed on a couple of bullet points there, so they're going to nitpick him down to the second round. Fine. And you wind up getting a great player a lot later. <laughs> yeah, that's I, there's a lot of truth to all of that, Matt. Um, one, the, a guy we absolutely love, I, I don't think he's going to be there at 10 is Isaiah Simmons, but I'm always curious to think what smart people think about a player that I think is is a guy who just put him on the field and don't worry about the position he plays. Do you, see, do you have any concern with him going to the next level? Well, I mean, I, I certainly want to see him tested even a little bit more in coverage, but if you're playing strong safety – and you have them kind of coming up and using them in the way that I think teams will shadow a quarterback, run support, maybe some outside pressure, being able to cover tight ends or flankers up the seam a little bit. Now I have a few questions about him. 
Interesting. Matt, it is always a pleasure here, and we love getting your your takes on everything. Everybody, we would urge you to check out the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. It's detailed. It's the best. And Browns fans, just tell them real quick, Matt, about the deep dive you did on Nick Chubb, because I think for Browns fans, it's it's like podcast nirvana. Sure. Well, Dan Hatman, who is the head of the Scouting Academy, which is in, he's a former Giants and Eagles NFL scout who's worked with guys um, you know, who are in the NFL. He's had, um, he's had Chris Palmer on, he's had Bobby April on, um, and then, and he's just starting this podcast series where they're studying, um, a player and going through it. And I was fortunate enough for him to invite me on and ask me who I'd want to study. And I thought, well, if we're studying NFL players, I'd like to study the guy who I think is the best candidate to have a 2000 yard season over the next five years, if the Browns can get their line straight and their offense going. And what we looked at was Nick Chubb against um, boxes of at least seven defenders or more and gains of at least four yards in those situations where they were running off tackle or to the outside to kind of mimic some of the things they'll do with outside zone. And I basically show the, the fans over a two-hour period who are listening or watching why Nick Chubb actually makes his blockers look good and why running backs who are really good matter because they make their offensive linemen um, get angles that they otherwise couldn't reach. Um, and so you get a chance to see a lot of that with Chubb and how special he is. To, to me, the reason I liked him more than Saquon Barkley is that he was a more disciplined runner. He's teaching tape in terms of how to read and act on schemes, even when there's penetration in the backfield. And then he has this really quiet, amazing athletic ability, including a burst that I would say is like kind of like teleporting two to three yards, and you didn't realize he got you know that much distance that fast when he plants his foot into the ground. Matt, this was excellent. Good catching up with you as always. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. All right, final segment up next, including a look back at the last dance. CBD yes, we've been waiting. Cleveland. Just a reminder, be sure you catch the Browns Draft Preview Show tonight at 7 on the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. GM Andrew Barry, the Athletics' Dane Brugler, join Ken Carmen and Nathan Zagur. They get you ready for the draft in 2020. Just a couple of days away, my friend. Let's do it. We've waited this long. The last dance. I had a big concern that 10 hours was too much. Uh, wow. I was quickly realizing that that was not the fact, that 10 hours – is not too much, that it would be – it's going to have more than enough. There's a lot of things that jump out to me. It's stunning, first of all. It's stunning, the the honesty in it and the behind-the-scenes, the video, the access that this camera crew had that sat in a tomb in Secaucus, New Jersey, for 20-some years. It's a stunning amount of stuff that they have to go through, and 10 hours is going to be just fine. It's going to be perfect, well, because if it was just the season itself, the fact that yeah. they're giving you the backstory, Jordan's backstory and Scottie Pippen's backstory, you're getting stuff that some of the stuff I hadn't even seen before, especially some of the Pippen stuff, uh, which is yeah. fascinating. And I love Bill Wennington still bringing it, which is great to see. But it was it was a, it was perfection. That's what I was like. It gave me. I had all the nostalgia as somebody who lived it, but I didn't. Again, you know, you forget it's been a long time. Just the, yeah. the craziness of, of the concept and to be able to watch it with, with Miss Kay, who, you know, this was all new for her. She was still very youthful at the time. And to ask the questions that are so obvious, what do you mean? So Phil Jackson's won five titles, including two in a row, and they're telling him he can't coach the team anymore? What do you mean they're telling Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen they can't stay together? Like, what, 
okay. It would be like if it, if Durant wanted to come back to the Warriors and he wanted Steve Kerr to coach him and uh, the general manager of the Warriors, and let's say they won the championship last year, so they had won Two years their right. fourth title, and, and they – and the general manager of, of, the war, of the Warriors said, you know what, we're not bringing back Steve Kerr. We know that's what you want, Kevin. Uh, but we're not going to bring back Kevin either, Steph. So uh, you can stick around if you want to, or you may have to retire, but we're going to rebuild this thing. That would never happen now. Never. But that's what happened here. <laughs> right. And it's just stunning in the, the ego Crazy. and clearly the, the hate between oh. Jerry Krause and the players, I mean, was palpable. It was real. And I find it just fascinating. It's you know, and Reinsdorf comes off, I think, like he's not a real person to me was kind of my take on it, that he might be like a mannequin talking, which I thought well, was... A lot of people that have that success live in their own reality. Like, Why there's no one to challenge them. Why would over Jordan, Pippen, and Phil Jackson? Well, we haven't got to that part yet. Um, and the other thing I will say is because Kraus died in 2017, you don't get his side. Of, of why the thinking uh, he did dra- he did make the trade for Scottie Pippen he got Horace Grant yep. he made the trade for Bill Cartwright they did some great he got things. Tony Kukoc so he did a great job of put they got they brought in Rodman like he did a lot of things all they always had those shooters whether it was Hodges Kerr or Paxson BJ they always had those guys yeah they always had those guys so they and they did a nice job with Ron Harper like he did a nice job of of, of massaging that roster but there's no understanding of this want to pull it apart and throw it away. That's the thing that you don't understand. Um, there are a couple of things that jumped out to me uh, number, in terms of how far we've, we've come. Walt Clyde Frazier, upon hearing Michael Jordan drafted, said he's 6'6". He's not a 7-footer. How's he going to dominate in this league? Yeah, like, insane. But if, you, if you think about it, though, up until that point, it was Mikan, Russell, Chamberlain, Jabbar. They won all the championships. Yeah. Like, you had to have a 7-footer to win a championship. So that was – now – Bird and Magic changed that shortly after Jordan, where they were the best teams on teams that won it. Uh, but that changed shortly after. Um, so that jumped out to me. And the other thing was the basketball. And this is my get-off-my-lawn stand. The basketball is beautiful. So the much amount of better. movement. Oh, so the much The movement better. without the ball, the cutting, the passing. We don't – that doesn't happen. The beauty of a, of a mid-range game and, and yeah, using every inch of the floor to, from where yeah. to take shots, and it's not just all isos and threes and team basketball, the passing. It was beautiful basketball, beautiful awesome. basketball. What about the fact, could you imagine if it came out that, like, Steph and LeBron were playing golf in between and a day off between oh, two games in, in a, a playoff series? series? In a playoff series? And how about Jordan at the end goes, tell DJ I got something for him, then goes and drops 63 on him in the garden? LeBron caught hell for going to his son's basketball game on a private plane and playing the next day for the Lakers in the regular season. This happened the day before game two. Jordan went golfing with Ainge. Yeah. What are you talking about? Like, it's nuts. Last thing I'll say on this. It also is a reminder how much I miss sports and how much I miss sports that I haven't seen. So we haven't seen this yet, and I – I lived a lot of this. You and I are old enough to live a lot of it and remember it. But it was so cool to see something that I haven't seen in sports. It was awesome. By the way, one little bit of news before we get out of here. The Jags releasing Marquise Lee, one of their most productive receivers, now a free agent, fully healthy and completely cleared medically right before the draft. There you go. Going to be a fun week, kids. We'll be here every step of the way. Buckle up, Jack. CBD, 850 ESPN Cleveland. 
You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.